Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topic today is our WNBA Power Rankings 2.0. But, Jalen, something big happened a couple of days ago, and I feel like we should bring it up. It's our one-year anniversary of doing the Hoop Talk Podcast. June 10th, 2020 was the first time that we uploaded an episode to our respective platforms. And it's been an honor doing this podcast with you, Jalen. And honestly, my knowledge of basketball has grown from not only the pro level, but also the college level, but also looking at the WNBA and women's college basketball and some of the other professional leagues. So I think this is a big thank you, not only to you, Jalen, but to our listeners as well. Thank you for sticking by us. Let's have another great episode, Jalen. If you have anything to say, just go ahead. Yeah, for sure, bro. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, you know, this is my first pod too. So, I mean, as much as it might feel like an honor to, to me, I have to honor you as well. You were the one who brought this idea up to, to me a while ago, back when, you know, we were just coming off of doing sports journalism class. So the fact that we actually decided to not only discuss this further, because we had done a project that kind of ignited this whole thing, but for us to actually like, take it seriously and we've been doing it this long and you know, I mean, one of the main things I've learned about more than anything from this pod is actually about the WNBA, which we're going to talk about today, of course, with our power rankings. So, I mean, I owe this pod a lot. And, of course, everybody who's paid attention to us gave us any kind of clout in terms of, you know, showing, sharing our stuff and things like that. But also just anybody who's, like, really been really interested in what we have to say. We've gotten a lot of great feedback from people on the show, too. Um, which has been really great to not only be able to see on social media, but then hear live on shows. So, yeah, bro. I mean, we're just going to make it another good episode, uh, talk about the NBA, the WNBA and their power rankings, uh, the new power rankings that we have. Uh, come on, bro. Let's just go ahead and get right into it. Like we said, WNBA power rankings 2.0. Jalen, who is in your power rankings? What does your list look like this time? Man. Oh, man. Let me tell you. Got a couple drastic changes taking place on this one, my guy. Uh, we're gonna start from the bottom and move up. That's how we. That's how we started this pod. That's how we're gonna do this power rankings. Started at twelve. We got the Indiana Fever. Eleven. We have the Los Angeles Sparks. At number ten, I'm gonna end up adjusting this one a little later, but we'll talk about that. Number ten, I have the Chicago Sky. And number nine, I have the Washington Mystics. And number eight, I have the Minnesota Lynx. And number seven, I have the Atlanta Dream. And number six, I have the Phoenix Mercury. At number five, I have the New York Liberty. At number four, I have the Dallas Wings. At number three, I have the Seattle Storm. At number two, I have the Las Vegas Aces. And still running at number one, I have the Connecticut Sun. So for my power rankings, number 12, I have the Indiana Fever. Number 11, I have the Los Angeles Sparks. Number 10, I have the Chicago Sky. Number nine, I have the Washington Mystics. Number eight, I have the Atlanta Dream. Number seven, I have the Minnesota Lynx. Number six, I have the Dallas Wings. Number five, I have the Phoenix Mercury. Number four, I have the New York Liberty. Number three, I have the Las Vegas Aces. Number two, I have the Seattle Storm. And number one, the Connecticut Sun. All right, bro. So we're just going to, like I said before, we're going to start from the bottom and move our way up the power ranking. So obviously we have to start with the elephant in the room, the one win Indiana Fever. Now, Ryan. What we could easily do is harp on a lot of the points that we've already made 
in the past. What's up with Godrick's playing time? Um, does this team really have any definitive star? We could point out all the negatives that I feel like we could easily poke and prod at for yet another week in terms of talking about the Indiana Fever and the performances on the floor. Rather than talking about what they haven't done, let's talk about what they can do or who they are or what they're starting to develop. What are some things about Indiana that you see in terms of their development as a team? Because at the end of the day, this is a one-win team that can only look forward. They can't look back because they're not in a position to reflect on wins they could have, should have, would have had. Because this is a team that, as far as we're concerned, is still in search of an identity. So they're not worried about who they've been. They're worried about who they're trying to become. So who do you see them becoming over the course of these last couple of games since the last time we did this power ranking? I have to say, I think two bright spots so far for this team. I say number one is Kelsey Mitchell. She's a phenomenal guard for this team, a bucket getter, top five scorer last year. I think she definitely has been the offensive juggernaut of a player that we knew she was last year. And she's continuing it and she's carrying it on from last year to this year. I also say another bright spot is Tierra McCowan. She has six double-doubles this year, Jalen, and she's averaging 11.3 points a game, 9.2 rebounds a game, which are career highs for her this season. So I think those are two instant bright spots that I would look at. I do think they need to play Kaiser more. We've reiterated that multiple times. I think they also need to play Lauren Cox more. Lauren Cox was their first round pick last year, and she's not getting a lot of playing time either. So I think in terms of, of where they are, I think 12 in our power rankings is about right considering that they have one win. They really have struggled offensively this season, trying to find their rhythm. But there are some bright spots with this team, and there is something to look forward to in the future, especially if they continue to build through the draft and sign young players. Yeah, so I completely agree with the two players that you touched on, specifically in terms of the bright spots. Bright spots. I think Kelsey Mitchell, along with Tierra McCowan, are the two that really stand out. I think the interesting thing about it is that this team just seems to be a lot more competitive when McCowan is openly active you know what I mean in their most recent game against Chicago yes they lost 83 to 79 but she led the team with 33 minutes on the floor and she gave them a double double of 20 and 13 to lead um all scores for the fever in that game and she obviously led the team in rebounds by a good amount so I think that that's something we're taking into consideration I think when it comes to Indiana I'm kind of done focusing too heavy on playing time specifically for Kaiser because at this point I don't think it's about the lack of playing time I'm starting to think that it's about the sporadic changes in her playing time one day is three minutes another day it's 10 minutes another game it's 18 minutes so I think the constant for, for a player like Kaiser who I would say projected out of West Virginia was seen as a shooter I would say is the way you would look at it how exactly can you maximize a shooter's strength when they're playing at such a like a hot, cold spell? You know what I mean? One one game, they actually are able to establish some form of rhythm, I guess, in 18 minutes. I guess that's certainly de debatable. But 18 minutes being one of her, you know, season high, uh, high counts so far this season, supposed to establish some kind of actual rhythm in that when coming off of a game maybe two nights before where you only play 
three to 10 minutes in that game. So I think with Kaiser, I mean, at the end of the day, I think it's still a mistake to be so limited on her minutes, especially again, you know, we point pointed this out plenty of times with the record that they have sounds like you might as well swing for defenses. Nonetheless, I think that it's kind of silly to focus too much on that because I feel like thinking about it from the aspect of she's not playing enough is too broad. I actually think that we need to change our, our, our mindset on that and look at it more so as Kaiser's skill set is to be a shooter. So as long as she's on the floor, she's a threat to shoot it. But her hot, cold spells are dictated by her fluctuations in minutes rather than just her inability to be on the floor. And maybe there's something taking place in camp and in practices and stuff that we don't know about. I'd have to assume at this point that maybe that has something to do about do do with it. But at the end of the day, I think that she's performed relatively well when she's gotten to play double digit minutes or better in some of these games. But Indiana has some things that are worth looking forward to. I just think at the end of the day, their identity shaping is having such an impact on their season that I don't know if this is going to be a team that's going to be a real threat very much for most of this year. And unfortunately, they're going to be marked up as easy dubs for most of these teams moving forward. But again, Kelsey Mitchell is a very elite uh, elite player. I think she actually has a chance that despite this team being so like poor, I think that she actually has a chance to still make an all-star team this year, which I think is extremely important as a milestone step up for this team. Um, I'm hoping that in the second half of this season, maybe they give Kaiser another run at it because I feel like outside of um, uh, on Yeruary for on um, for um, New York, I don't really think that there's anybody that's really stood out in the rookie of the year race. So I would like to see in the second half of the season, a couple of these teams with some top flight rookies that we've seen really kind of stick their neck out there and really kind of, you know, give some of these rookies a chance to make a run at uh, Michaela. So I think that there's a lot to look forward to with Indiana. It's just that at the same time, they are extremely frustrating when you think about the fact that there's so many things that they maybe could experiment with that. It seems like they're being very uh, passive about. Did you have anything else on Indiana, or you think that it's time to talk about these uh, these here Sparks? Yeah, I, I think it's time that we move to the Los Angeles Sparks because there's a lot to get into with this team. Now, remember, they don't have the Okwamike sisters. I think that they're the needle movers for this team. Like I said in a previous episode, they rank last in offensive rating, and we look at their four wins this year. They've come against two of the worst teams in the WNBA against the Chicago Sky without Candace Parker and without Allie Quigley, and then against the Indiana Fever. I feel like this team has not gotten better, and I feel like players like Amanda Zowie B, players like Erica Wheeler, players like Nia Coffey are going to be players going forward that I think the Sparks should look at to help them lead a charge to get into the playoffs. I think that when we look at the impact of the Oguamike sisters, they're averaging 25.4 points a game combined. But as a team, overall, looking at the Los Angeles Sparks, they average 74 points a game, and they're also last in assists per game with 15. So I think that players like Wheeler, players like Amanda Zowie B, players like Coffee. I think continually we'll have to step up. I also have to look at 
players like Christy Tolliver and Tia Cooper. Tolliver is averaging only nine points a game, and Cooper is also averaging only nine points a game. So I think that they both have to help provide more scoring to a team that definitely needs some. Yeah, I think the biggest thing is that I think this this situation has forced Tia Cooper specifically to step up as a ball handler for this team, which I think is huge. I mean, over the last couple of games, really, if we're going to look at it more specifically, like just the month of June, she's seen a, a significant uptick in minutes played. And I think that has a lot to do with the fact that they want to get a ball handler on the floor that can, that can not only be aggressive, because I think Cooper's main thing is that she's very aggressive as a driver. But I think the other thing is that she provides another ball handler for this team. And I think that's something that's extremely important because at the end of the day, you kind of need a shot creator in order to win games in this league. Um, this league is a lot more skill oriented than um, the NBA in terms of like, I mean, the NBA is extremely skill oriented, but there's a lot of athleticism involved, which is kind of one of the things that leans people in favor of that game. But in terms of the WNBA from a skill level standpoint, I would actually say that they're actually a little bit better because of the fact that they have to focus on things like entry passes, dynamic um, playmaking, the ability to be able to create your own shot, things like that. The ability just to be able to get your own shot off is so much more important, I think, to a certain extent in the WNBA. So taking a look at that, I think my X factor for them, as much as I love Amanda's, Amanda's IB, I think that Taya Cooper is actually the X factor for this team because I think with her uptick in minutes, I think the biggest thing about her is that it's going to make her even more aggressive as a scorer. If you have to remember, she was coming off the bench as a sixth, seventh, maybe eighth person um, in this rotation. And when they had the Ogumake sisters on the floor, that made a little bit more sense because you had a forward set, you had a forward center combo with two players that could handle the ball, create for themselves play off of one another and they averaged double digit points um between the two of them in a way that was significant a way that i think actually covered about a good 30 percent of their overall off offensive output i think that's extremely important to note is that they're losing that much talent offensively not to mention the defensive length that both of them provide um but they're losing that much talent offensively and i think that that's huge in a way that's going to force players like Coffee, like St uh, like Cooper, like Amanda Zowie B to a certain extent to have to step up as well. I think Zowie B is interesting because of the fact that we still haven't seen like that crazy Zowie B game yet, right? Like even in that game against Minnesota most, most recently, she had 15 and eight in a game high 36 minutes, but they lost by, I want to say like 16, like, we haven't seen like that Amanda Zowie B snap game yet. You know what I mean? Like where I'm like, oh, yep, this is the unleashed version of her in terms of what we didn't really get to see in New York. You know what I mean? And so we're still kind of waiting on that a little bit. Um, I think it's safe to say that this is Wheeler's team while the Agumen K sisters are out. And I think that's something important to focus on as well, because with her garnered attention, she's also going to have to step up her game individually. And so far, She's done pretty good at doing that. The only issue is that, unfortunately, hasn't been resulting in wins very much as of late. I think another thing to point out, too, they're not getting Nanike Aguamike until the first week of July. So I think that's a lot of time for players like Tia Cooper, like Christy Tolliver, Amanda Zowie Wheeler, and Coffee to definitely step up and provide more scoring to a team that needs scoring. Another thing, too, with Tia Cooper, 
like I said, she's averaging nine points a game. It's actually a jump from her point per game average from last season. So I do think that she is improving. I definitely would like to see her more involved in the offense. Like you said, Jalen, I think that she will be an X factor for this team going forward, especially considering the Oklahoma sisters will be out for another couple of weeks. I'm not really sure what the status of Chine's injury is like, but I know that Nanike will be back in the first week of July, it looks like. So I think if these five players can provide some offensive consistency to this team, I think Los Angeles could be a dangerous team that could pull out some upsets in the season, possibly make a playoff run and definitely defy some expectations. Let's talk about this next team in Chicago because they get Allie Quigley back. They get Candace Parker back. I feel like the Chicago Sky team is almost like the team that they had in the first game of the season. Offensively dominant team, a defensively savvy team, a team that could shoot the ball well. And Candace Parker playing in her element as a defensive shot blocker, but also a dominant player in the offensive post. Jalen, what does this return for Candace Parker mean for Chicago, considering right now they're 4-0 with her on the floor? Yeah, well, I think that's the biggest thing. You mentioned that to me before we had launched the pod earlier um, today when we were, you know, scheming up stuff before this pod launched. And I think the biggest thing for me is just that her impact on the floor is so significant because everyone knows she's the number one threat. She's new to Chicago's team, yet everybody has the understanding as a defense and as an offensive threat that she is their go-to. She anchors their defense down as a perimeter defender that can also kind of drop down low and swat shots, as you said beforehand. But she's also an offensive um, playmaker that is a former MVP. At the end of the day, that has to be something that's taken into consideration. And then when you give a player like that, Courtney Vandersloot, as a facilitator, you have a one-two punch that's extremely dangerous just in terms of their offensive prowess. I think one of the biggest things I look at, Ryan, and of course, one of the things that we need to preference is we're about to be extremely high on Chicago. We had Chicago at number 10 as of last week. This podcast was actually supposed to be recorded last week. We both ran into some off-the-field issues, so to speak, that put us in a situation where we had to postpone this. So for those who don't understand, when we originally made this power ranking, as of late March, I'm talking literally as of late late May, excuse me, as of late May, this team had lost, I, I think they were about on a five-game losing streak. Their last win um, before last before this week was back on May 19th against the Atlanta Dream. Since that, since May 19th, they lost to the Liberty, uh, the Dream, uh, the Dream, they lost to the Sparks twice, the Mercury twice, the Sparks again. And then most recently, they've been on a three-game winning streak, being the Fever twice, and then the Minnesota Lynx. One thing that people don't realize is that throughout this entire stretch, Ryan, don't give me – I might be incorrect about this, but if I'm not mistaken, they've only won one game where Candace Parker was not a part of the roster, right? And that was actually their game against the Fever, like, last week if I'm not mistaken, right? Or no, I think she played in that game, but like minimally. So with that being the case, like this team kind of goes as Candace Parker goes. And people don't realize this either. This happened most recently, but in that game the other night against the Minnesota Lynx, they had six players in double figures. Six. Guess what? Candace Parker wasn't even the best player out of them. She had 12, 7, and 7, and as an overall player, you would say that she probably performed the best. But I could have, I could 
argue Allie Quigley with 23 and four played better. You could argue that Courtney Vanishloot with 10 and 13, 13 assists. I told y'all about her in these double digit assists. If she gets double digit, if she gets eight plus assists a night, the, the Chicago Sky are winning a buttload of games. Let's talk about Stephanie Dolson, who had 17 and six last night, 24 minutes. I mean, this team is legit, legit top to bottom. And their first six are the real deal. So this team is on a three-game winning streak after losing five in a row. They've got Candace Parker back. They've got Quigley back. This team looks for real to me. Ryan, let's put it this way, bro. And I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but I'll do it myself as well. Had you known everything that you've seen as of late, where do you think you would put Chicago on your list as of right now in comparison to where you had them last week, looking 2020 hindsight? Now that Kansas is back after this seven-game losing streak, I would probably have to slate them around five or six. I don't want to put them too high because I know Candace Parker being back is very valuable for this team, but also getting somebody like Allie Quickly back, who, like you mentioned, 23 points, and she shot three of three from three. I think that having both those players back is huge for Chicago to win a lot of these games, considering that Chicago averages 78 points a game, which is 10th in the WNBA. So I think when you need offensive consistency, you definitely look to players like Allie Quigley and Candace Parker to provide you a lot of the offensive scoring. With that being said, something that you forgot to mention about Courtney Vandersloot, just a testament to how, to how great of a facilitator Courtney Vandersloot has been throughout her entire career. Jalen, she is the fourth WNBA player to reach 2,000 assists. That's a huge milestone. She's the fourth player, and she joins Sue Bird, Ticha Pinachero, and Lindsay Whalen on that list. So that, that's a very exclusive list and a very well-deserved achievement for Courtney Vandersloot. But with that being said, I mean, she's she's fulfilling her role perfectly as a facilitator. We're not expecting her to be the leading scorer on this team because that goes to somebody like Candace Parker. That goes to somebody like Allie Quigley or Diamond DeShields or Kalia Copper. Courtney Vandersloot's playing her role perfectly, and this is what will help Chicago win more games, especially when Courtney Vandersloot is able to continue to facilitate the ball well throughout the season. And Ryan, I want to point something out too that I think is also kind of interesting and important to keep our eyes on as well. Like at the end of the day, I think Chicago, I would personally, to answer my own question, I would probably move Chicago up around six because at the end of the day, I think their first six uh, on the floor between their starting five and their six off the bench is probably one of the better groups in the league. But another thing that we need to focus on too is member Dana Evans was traded to this team since our last, since our last power ranking was done as well. And she's done relatively well, honestly, in that game against Minnesota, she only played for about seven minutes, but got five points. I mean, I think that's huge when you counter act that with the fact that when she was playing with, when she was playing with um, Dallas, she wasn't really getting that much PT in the backcourt, despite the fact that they honestly kind of could use it at the time. We'll talk about Dallas a little bit later um, because your boy is extremely high on the Dallas wings at the moment. But I think that's something else to keep in mind, too, with um, with Evans, because I think that she's going to be an interesting off the guard, off the ball guard for them. I think she's going to be a player that I think can play very well, maybe next to um, a backcourt that has either Copper, Vanish Luke. I mean, 
I think that you can kind of interchange it a lot of different ways, honestly, if you really think about what their circumstances are. I think even with Quigley, I think there's a lot of interchangeable parts that he can work with when it comes to Dana. And I think that moving forward, Chicago Sky, man, like you said beforehand, 4-0 with Candace Parker on the floor. I don't think that makes them undefeated for the rest of the year as long as Candace Parker is on the floor. Sounds a little far-fetched. They played they play the Connecticut Sun tomorrow as of when we're recording this. Um, we're recording this June 16th. They played uh, Connecticut as of tomorrow, and they play them twice um, back-to-back this week uh, pretty much. So it's going to be really interesting. Three of their next five games are against Connecticut. They've got the New York Liberty two times in the mix, and they've got the Dallas Wings two times after that to kick off the early portions of July. So I think that's going to be an interesting stretch to see how they do with Candace Parker back in the lineup. Yeah, and I think when we're talking about a team like Chicago, we mentioned that this team before the season, they had a lot of title hopes, especially with the massive acquisition of Candace Parker. Now, I think this team is starting to get right back to where they were in the first game of the season before Parker was injured. And I think Chicago going forward, as long as everybody stays healthy, this is going to be a very dangerous team going forward. But let's talk about the Washington Mystics, who on Sunday, June 13th, were blown out by the Atlanta Dream, 101-78. And this team turned the ball over 17 times. Turnovers have been an issue for this team. They did not shoot the ball well in that game, 37.7% from the floor. And Tina Charles, the MVP of this team and the and the possible MVP for the season, was held to 13 points this season, a season low for Tina Charles after she after she's averaging 24 points a game. So, Jalen, what do you believe went wrong for the Mystics outside of the turnovers? What do you believe went wrong for the Mystics in this game against the Atlanta Dream? I mean, there's two things that can you can easily point at point the finger at. And I think this is a microcosm of DC's season so far is Tina Charles has to be excellent in order for them to win games. I think that's just number one. You get 16 and six from Hines, uh, from Hines Allen, um, Maisha Hines Allen, and you get 15 points from uh, Ariel Atkins. I think that when they combine for 31, I think that's a smidge low, um, especially when you're facing a very offensive oriented team in the dream who have that crazy, crazy backcourt going on between Courtney Williams and, um, I mean, even Odyssey Sims, who had a, a really good game in that, uh, that mix-up as well. But Cheyenne Parker, I mean, you just look at how offensively uh, reliant they are in terms of that backcourt. Um, I think that when you are going up against a team that can put the ball in the basket, specifically with those two in the backcourt, I think that you just have to kind of – keep tabs on things in terms of being able to go tit for tat as the mystics and that that comes with a player in tina charles having to play you know some of her best basketball now the other issue that was in this game and i think it's one of those things that has just been an overall problem for the year right is natasha cloud is just not right I don't know if it's something injury-wise. I don't know if it's something about being put in a very different role this season in comparison to maybe what she's asked to do when we're talking about this team being more healthy and Elena Deladon is on the floor or Emma Miesemann is on the floor. I'm not really sure what the circumstances are when it comes to Natasha Cloud on this team, 
But I do feel as though one thing I can say and one thing that I do think is important to focus on is that she's a legit ball handler for this team. Legit. Um, this is a this is a player who literally just last season dropped a career high 26 points in a game. We know that she can put up points in a flurry um, when given the opportunity to. And I understand that Tina Charles is a, is in this offense, but this is not a heliocentric offense, right? This is not a this is not an offense where it's dump it down to Tina, give her as many chances at the apple as she can, and just everybody else standing around. Since Maisha Hines Allen has gotten back from playing overseas, she's gotten progressively better since that very first breakout game that she had. She's honest, she had a breakout game, kind of stepped back for a second, or had a breakout game, kind of stepped back, struggled for a smidge, and it's kind of progressively gotten a lot better over time. Ariel Atkins has played relatively well as the second fiddle for this team pretty much all year. Tina Charles had an off game against Atlanta. And that's kind of the only way that you can really frame that. But Natasha Cloud has either not has either barely cracked double digits or hasn't cracked double digits at all pretty much the entire season. That's something that I think should be worrisome for DC. And I think it's something that only kind of makes Mystics fans even more angsty when it comes to the timetable of their actual MVP. Um, their their teams are OG MVP, as I guess you call it, in terms of Elena Deladon and her potential return. I do think that the past couple of games, especially in the last WNBA episode that we talked about, we were expecting more from the supporting cast outside of Tina Charles because we knew Tina Charles was going to put up 25 to 30 points a game and she was going to be the MVP, the player of the game for each Mystics game. But we were expecting players like Ariel Atkins and Myesha Hines-Allen to step up and get some score. And now they are. And I think that now that they're becoming more involved, I don't think the supporting cast is as much of an issue as it was two weeks ago. But there's still that issue of turnovers and there's still that issue of the injury of Elena Deladon. We're just kind of waiting for her to get back with the Washington Mystics. I feel like now with this team, they are on the right track, but turnovers are destroying this team right now. And they, they were, they pretty much were the main reason for why they lost against the Atlanta Dream. I think the second biggest reason that they lost was that Tina Charles struggled. Now, I do attribute that to the defensive schemes that Atlanta used to make sure that Tina Charles was not the leading scorer in that game. But I think if we're looking at, at the season as a whole, the fact that Tina Charles struggled in this game, I think was huge considering how much of a winning impact that Tina Charles has on this team. So I feel like the biggest issue right now is turnovers. But I think if teams are able to stop Tina Charles, whether it's through the different defensive schemes like double teams, I think that's another way you can take out the Mystics early. Yeah, I think the Mystics are in an interesting situation. I don't want to take too much from one game out of the fact that the Mystics have played relatively well this season when factoring in their circumstances. Uh, Tina Charles, I think, is coming off of either Eastern play, uh, Eastern Conference Player of the Week or Eastern Conference Player of the Month. I'm not entirely certain, but it was one of the two. She has been one of the better players in the conference, obviously an MVP caliber player so far this season. I would definitely put her in like my top six or seven overall. Record obviously factors into that a smidge. 
But, um, yeah, man, I think that they're in a pretty interesting situation. Another team that's in a pretty interesting situation moving forward is the Atlanta Dream, um, who we actually were just talking about on the opposite end of this matchup. They're a team that's been very wishy-washy, but we haven't really moved moved the needle on them very much. Five and five in their last ten games, um, coming off the big win against the Mystics. But prior to that, they were on a uh, on literally a four-game losing streak between two games to the Minnesota Lynx and two games to the Seattle Storm that did not go very well. Um, only one of those games in those four games was actually close. It was an 86 to 84 loss um, earlier this month to the Lynx. Um, other than that, man. This team has been kind of split down the middle. Very, very, very interestingly rough start to the season. Two games dropped to start the year off. Two games up. Then then after, I mean, they pretty much, after the two-game winning streak that started at the back end of May between two games against the Fever and the Sky, they went on to add on another two games went on a full four game winning streak after losing their first two of the season. And then it followed that up with another four game losing streak. So Ryan, does that mean we're in for another four game winning streak from Atlanta moving forward, considering the circumstance they've got DC, the links again, and then New York twice in their next four. I mean, as wishy-washy as this team has been so far this season, is that what we should probably expect? Yeah, I would say that this team is definitely a streaky team for sure. They lost their first two games, won their next four, lost their next four. Then they end up winning against the Washington Mystics, like we mentioned earlier. I think that this offense is one of the more underrated offenses in the WNBA. This seems like the case with the Seattle Storm, where I feel like when this team scores 90 points, they win games. And when they don't score 90 points, they have to rely on their defense late in games. And the inconsistency on offense is maybe the biggest concern. Like we mentioned earlier, when their offense gets going, they're unstoppable. If you look at the Mystics game, they scored 100 points for the second time in the season. Atlanta was 13 of 29 from three. Six players had one three-pointer made. And Atlanta had five players score in the double digits. So I think there is that balance, but you also have Courtney Williams, who's been a great player for this Atlanta Dream Team this season. 17.5 points per game, 4.1 assists, seven rebounds. They're one of the highest scoring offenses in the league. 83.5 points per game, which is fourth in the WNBA. And defensively, they've been a sneaky team this year. Nine and a half steals per game. But now I kind of feel like the inconsistencies of offense are holding this team down. I think because they've been such a streaky team this year, I think they have to be consistent on the offensive side in order to win games. Like I mentioned with Seattle, this team scores 90, they win games. So I think if Atlanta continues to score 90 and keeps the offense balanced with different players scoring each night, I think that this team could be an interesting team going forward. I mean, I think that's interesting. I didn't even realize that from a statistical standpoint. The only game they've won so far this year that they didn't score 90 was the 83-79 to win early in the season. It was their third game of the year against Indiana. Other than that, they scored at least 90 in all their victories and all of their losses. If they scored, if they scored, um, 
I don't think they scored 90 in any of the losses at all. I don't think they even got remotely close in most of them. I think the highest that they've gotten in a loss was probably, oh, man, looking at the overall lay of the land, I think it might have been the 84 to 86 loss against the Lynx. That was the highest point total they've had in a loss. So with that being the case, I think that you might have a, a, a serious point there about what their scoring threshold is. So for anybody that, <laughs> that talks Atlanta dream basketball moving forward, point to the number 90 as some of their some of the one of their biggest milestone factors, game in and game out in terms of something that will keep them in games and something that will be a big focal point, I think, for us moving forward when talking about this Atlanta Dream Team because we're starting to see a little bit of a trend throughout this season with the fact that we've got a good handful of games under our belt now. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see if that offense can finally get an uptick. Like I said, very interesting team that went on to start the season losing two games, went on a four-game winning streak, followed that up with a, with a handful of losses as well. Might be due for another winning streak, Ryan. We might be talking about them uh, playing relatively well and on the uptick in this power rankings moving forward by the next time that we end up recording um, another power rankings for our 3.0. Um, so let's move on to the next team on this list, which is the Minnesota Lynx. I have them at eight, and you actually have them just above the dream at seven. So how do you feel about the Minnesota Lynx? What's up with that situation? Like, I think that they're on the uptick in a really positive way, but I also still think that there's a couple of things worth waiting on before we can really surmount Minnesota as one of those top five teams. Like we kind of were teetering along the uh, reins of doing earlier on in the season when we were doing our, our preseason power rankings. That win against the Connecticut Sun was the turning point in their season. First of all, I think they needed that one. They were winless up to that point. They were 0-4. They had lost a lot of close games up to that point. And I feel like with that win, they were able to they were able to start that that uptick that you mentioned in terms of not only winning games, but getting some of their stars back. They got Sylvia Fowles back, they got Nafisa Collier back. I think that this team now with their players healthy, I think they're going to be okay. But I think that there is much like with the Atlanta Dream, there is some inconsistency on the offensive side. They also have a lot of turnover trouble, 22 turnovers against the Sparks. And they average 15.9 a game, which is third most in the league. So I think that if they could be more consistent on the offensive side, they'll definitely win a lot of games. But again, this is another team, like I mentioned with the Mystics, turnovers are a huge issue for this team. So if they're able to hold on to the ball, shoot the ball consistently, I think that Minnesota can win a lot more games. And not to mention that a lot of players have been stepping up. Blazier Clarendon, I thought was a huge pickup for this team. Crystal Dangerfield on Saturday, she had four three-pointers coming off the bench and led Minnesota with 16 points. So I think that there are bright spots on this team. The depth that you mentioned early on in the season, I think it's starting to, we're starting to see what sort of depth is on this team, especially at the guard position with Crystal Dangerfield coming off the bench and Leisure Clarendon starting and, and Kayla McBride starting alongside her. So I think if they're able to, like I said, if they're able to offensively be consistent and hold on to the ball, prevent turnovers, Minnesota can win a lot of games this season and they could be a dark horse in the playoffs this year. 
Yeah, bro. I think there's a lot of things to take into consideration as well. I mean, like, let's talk about everything that they kind of need to start heading in the right direction, right? We've got Nafisa Collier. We've got Sylvia Fowles, like we mentioned before. Crystal Dangerfield has been somebody who stepped up relatively well. We're finally starting to slowly but surely get into that lane where we haven't seen it at its maximum yet it's been an on and off thing but if you notice another thing that we haven't been able to really touch on so far this season is the trio grouping we've seen fouls and collier we've seen um we've even seen fouls and aerial powers but where in the world is the trifecta at that's the issue that we've had for most of this season if you even look at the most recent game against um against chicago we got Nafisa, drops 27. We got Fouls, drops 14. Nobody else cracks double digits in that game. And, of course, you're looking at Crystal Dangerfield to be that next best player, but she wasn't able to do the job. You even look at the game that they most recently won where we're talking about the circumstances. That's our uh, – we're talking about that game against the Sparks. That's a game in which we've seen the trio, and although Ariel Powers didn't play relatively well, she also did play limited minutes. She had seven points and four rebounds in 11 minutes on the floor as being slowly brought back into the lineup. You get you get nine points from Collier and 15 points from Fowles. The game is more about Crystal, da Crystal Dangerfield in this game and probably Rachel Banham, who was their second uh, – who – was um, third in scoring with 12 points, five rebounds, and two assists. So it was a game where you honestly didn't even have to ask Ariel Powers to do much, and she still, again, had seven points and four rebounds in 11 minutes, 11 minutes. All I'm saying is this team, <clears throat> excuse me, this team is extremely dangerous if we look at this team from the perspective that if all three of these players on the floor – Powers, Collier, and Fowles, I mean, with the fact that we also know that Crystal Dangerfield is a legit scoring threat for this team as a as a either a starting caliber guard or the first first uh female off the bench. I think that we're in a circumstance where honestly the Minnesota Lynx are low-key underrated, bro. Low-key. Like, and a, a funny thing that we're gonna probably harp on all season until we finally see our see on the floor is. Renaya Davis still has not played. I think that is huge. I think that if we get all three of these players on the floor, Kayla McBride still serious in the backcourt. Demiris Dantes stretches the floor for them. Give me uh, give me Crystal Dangerfield. Give me Renaya Davis as a potential 3 and D wing for this team. And Minnesota looks like they're the real deal. So I think if this team, it still comes down to health, bro. It still comes down to health. If this team can get healthy, we can see their three stars on the floor, see their depth fully fleshed out, fleshed out. Oh my gosh, man. Sky is the limit for Minnesota down the stretch. I have to agree with you because I think with the amount of depth on this team, like I mentioned, I think we're starting to really see it now with players like Crystal Dangerfield, like Rachel Banham, like Ariel Powers, who we've just seen come back in limited minutes against the Los Angeles Sparks. I feel like now that we're starting to see all of it, I think that this team is is going to be dangerous going forward. And I think that now with Sylvia Fowles, with Nafisa Collier, now we're waiting on Renaya Davis to get back. I think you made a great point with the trifecta. I think Renaya Davis is the third is the third player in this trifecta for the Minnesota Lynx. So while we wait for Renaya Davis, I think we're going to look for players like Crystal Dangerfield, like Rachel Banham, like Leisure Clarendon, 
Kayla McBride, Ariel Powers to kind of fill that role, especially considering that we talked about how great this Minnesota front court was early on in the season in our preseason power rankings. Now we just kind of have to wait and see when Renaya Davis gets back. But moving on to our next team in the Dallas Wings, and I've been interested to hear Jayla's perspective on this one because when he first told me that the Dallas Wings were number four on his power ranking, I was a bit shocked. I was a bit surprised. And now I get to hear from Jalen why he put Dallas at number four. So Jalen, take it away. So I made this power ranking last week, as I mentioned earlier on in the pod. And of course, this was me doing a little bit of projecting. This is one of those things where in comparison to Chicago, I think I actually projected a lot further down the line from a talent perspective, but I also had a little bit better of an understanding of what was taking place with the Dallas Wings team in terms of who they were getting back. They get by far my favorite player, Satu Sabali, on the floor, back on the floor from playing overseas. And they also get Alicia Gray, who was another player who was also playing in the three-on-three tournament representing the U.S. Shout out to you guys that went out that way to rep the land for us one time. And they get those two players introduced back into the lineup, right? And I think that that was huge. I've been talking about Satu all season as an overall um, facilitator, someone who's able to stretch the floor. In the most, in one of their most recent games, they played against the um the Phoenix Mercury, and she had 17, six and four. Led was literally was second on the team, or I guess tied for first on the team in assists with four assists on the night. Um, Arika Agumawale has been the truth in the backcourt pretty much the entire year and continues to do so. I mean, come on, man. We got to be real about this, bro. Mariah Jefferson has played relatively well. They moved Mabry back to the bench role. Marina Mabry has been one of their better three-point shooters all year, and now she's someone who's going to be coming off the bench as a hot shooter. Um, we still can't sleep on the fact that I still believe that in the front court center wise, I still think that Isabella, uh, Isabel, um, Harrison is like the better center out of her and, uh, Charlie Collier right now. Um, I still think that's something we're taking into consideration even now. Um, I think that's important, but I think that Collier is slowly starting to develop. She had six and four in that game against the Mercury, but, Bro, this is my overall reasoning, right? Um, this is my overall reasoning. Combine Agumba Wale with Gray, who hasn't really had that great, hasn't had a big impact so far since being being back on the team just yet. Not at least not in the way Sabali has. Sabali has kind of came out swinging. Um, kind of went toe to toe with the Aces, honestly, in the most recent loss, um, where she had she led the team with twenty four points and eight rebounds. But you give me Sabali, you give me Gray back on the floor as a threat. You give me a Goomba Wale, who's been the driving force of this team. You give me Mabry, who's a legit three-point shooter. Isabel Harrison, who I think is legit at the, at the five spot. Mariah Jefferson has been a player who's been able to give them good spell off the bench as well, or in the starting lineup, depending on what's been asked of her, right? And then you look at their overall production throughout the season. I'm going to start from the very first game of the year and kind of move your way through. We start off with their big blowout win against the Sparks, right? And obviously that's the circumstance where we're looking at it, where in the first like six games, the only team that they could really seem to beat was the Los Angeles Sparks. Started out the season two and four. And there was a little bit of worry from us there. But then 
after that most recent sparks when the kickoff June, right, something started happening that I thought was really interesting and started to kind of put the writing on the wall. A three-point OT loss to the defending champs um, in the Seattle Storm on June 4th, 102 to 104. They beat the defending champs in a close 68 to 67 ball game, which I think is important to touch out that the Seattle Storm only had 67 in that game. I think that's important when talking about how high octane of an offense that the Seattle Storm have. When you're talking about that, the fact that Brianna Stewart, Jewel Lloyd, and Sue Bird all were present in that game, by the way. It wasn't like any circumstances that were leaving their top three players out. Jewel Lloyd actually had a 24, uh, 24 piece in that game as well. Then you look at their uh you look at their two most recent games after that. Talk about the fact that they beat the Phoenix Mercury back to back, one of them by four points, the other one in blowout fashion, 77 to 59. And then again, like I mentioned earlier, Satu Sabali was the leading scorer with 24 points and eight rebounds in a game where the Las Vegas Aces, I mean, they didn't get super great production on the floor from anyone else outside of Aja Wilson either. Don't get me wrong, Liz Cambridge was very effective on the defensive end, and I think that was huge in this game. Kelsey Plum gave them 13 points in that game. But if we look at it, bro, outside of Satu Sabali, if anybody else really gives Dallas a lot of production, I mean, Agumba Wally's the, you typically their, their main go-to player in the backcourt. She only had 11 points despite having eight rebounds. And their second leading scorer was Isabel Harrison off the bench with 13 and nine. Again, I keep telling you, she might be the best center on this team, low-key. But you tell me that Satu Sabali can go blow for blow, basically, with the with the the reigning league MVP and Aja Wilson who had 28 and 14, I think that legitimately speaking, this team talent wise is the fourth best team in the league right now. And I think that factors in not only what they've done on the floor in terms of either being close in ball games or flat out just winning the ball game off pure talent. But I think the other thing too is just the fact that if we look at some of the other teams that maybe like, for example, that you have before be ahead of them, I don't think the Mercury are necessarily better than Dallas on paper right now. I think that you could argue that Brittany Griner, who is probably we could argue is probably the best player for Phoenix right now is probably the best player if we're going down a rankings of the top five players just between Phoenix and Dallas I would say that Brittany's the best I would say that Skylar Diggins Smith is in that top five but I could argue that Dallas might have three of the most talented players in that top five. Now, maybe that's a slight of Di- Diana Taurasi to a certain extent, but that's counting her as a historical figure. I don't, th- I don't think this season, per se, that she's actually been better than some of these players on the floor um, so far for Dallas. Um, so I think that's something we're touching on. I think another thing that you have to factor in when it comes to Diana Taurasi is just the mere fact that she actually isn't on the floor. You have to, again, remember that she suffered an injury earlier on this season that is going to keep her out for a little while. So I think that talent-wise, they're better right now. Another thing that I touched on, Brian, when we were when we were off the pod was Dallas is fifth in the league right now record-wise. The team that you have above them is New York, who is also, you know, a relatively nice team so far this year. They're fourth in the league record-wise, but they're on the downslope. They just lost Sabrina. Um, they lost Natasha Howard, honestly, <laughs> as quickly as they got her back 
from overseas play. So honestly, for me, I think that with them being on the uptick, New York being on the downslide, and their overall talent on the floor, bro, I don't know if that was the greatest sell. I'm not sure if that necessarily has done anything in terms of changing anybody's mindset on Dallas. But I think people should really keep eyes on this young Dallas team because I think the influx of talent that they got from some of their players coming back from uh, from overseas play, along with the fact that they played relatively well and held their own in a lot of these games so far this season without those players, I think sky is the limit for this team offensively um, as a young squad. And defensively, I think that they can only get better. So you mentioned – they're fourth in your power rankings. I also want to mention they're fourth in the league in offensive rating, especially with how Arike has been playing recently. She's the leading scorer with, with just under 21 points a game. Marina Mabry has been phenomenal with, with close to 17 points a game. Satu Sabali coming back as well. I think that's a huge, huge addition back to the Dallas Wings. And she had 24 points, like you mentioned, in the loss to Las Vegas. Their offense is great. 85 and a half points a game. That's third best in the league. I think their defense, though, they give up almost as much as they score offensively. They average 85 and a half points a game on offense. They give up 83.2 points a game, which is fourth in the WNBA on the defensive side. They have been playing a lot of these teams close, and that is where I will give this team credit, especially, especially with some of their players off the bench. They lead the WNBA in bench scoring per game with 26.3 points a game. And that's really because of players like Marina Mabry, like Chelsea Dungy, like Mariah Jefferson, like Isabel Harrison. I put them at six because it's basically my floor for this team. I do think they still have a lot of improving to do, especially at five and six. I think that even though they played a lot of these teams very close, I don't think that this is the most well-rounded team from top to bottom. They're still trying to reacclimate players back, like Alicia Gray, like Satu Sabale. So I do think that it will be a couple games before I could see this team at full strength. But if we look at a team at Phoenix, I think, and and this is a tra- this is a good transition to Phoenix possibly. I think Phoenix is a very well-rounded team from top to bottom where. Without Diana Taurasi, I could point out a couple of players that could be that third star on this team, like Kia Nurse, for example, who has been playing some pretty good basketball to this point in the season. The front court aspect of it, I would take Phoenix's front court over Dallas's front court. I think the other thing, too, and this might be a controversial take, but I actually would have to take Phoenix's backcourt over Dallas's backcourt. Because especially with the way that Skylar Diggins-Smith has been playing recently, I also have to look at somebody like Megan Walker, who added 10 points in the loss to the Dallas Wings not that long ago. So I think it's just going to take a lot of time now that Diana Taurasi, like we mentioned, she's out for a couple weeks due to an injury. I'll just say this. I think this is going to change in a couple weeks because I know Dallas – is going to be a team that right now they're fourth best in offensive rating. They may be the fourth best team in the league by the time we, we do the next the next power ranking. I think Phoenix, even though they are a well-rounded team, I think they do struggle in some areas without Diana Taurasi, especially in the in the leadership role, considering that Diana Taurasi is one of the greatest WNBA players of all time. 
and losing out on her, not only as a scorer, defender, and facilitator, but also as a veteran presence on the floor, or should I say another veteran presence on the floor, I do think that the Mercury are missing out on that. But I think when I made these power rankings, I think this was a toss-up between who was going to be the fifth and sixth best teams. Because I think looking at Dallas, they are a phenomenal team right now. Phoenix is also a phenomenal team, but Phoenix is playing some great basketball without one of their best players. So again, I think that this could change by the time we do our WNBA Power Rankings 3.0. Yeah, I was that was my main thing I was going to say. I think the other thing is if we just look past the talent, let's look at the overall production on the floor so far, bro. I mean, if we look at it, and so far on the season, the Mercury are one and three against the Dallas Wings. One and three, mind you, the one that they did win, it was an 89 to 85 ball game for um for the uh, in favor of the mercury this was mind you it was a game in which diana tarasi wasn't on the floor uh kia nurse and skylar diggins smith both uh combined for 42 had 21 apiece and Brittany griner had 27 and 16 which was nuts but but in response to that they didn't have Satu Sabali. So I'm just saying, I mean, Marina Mayri had four, 24 points, eight rebounds. Um, Agumba Wale had 24 points of her own. I think that they had a two-headed monster versus a three-headed monster in that game. And I'm just saying, I think you add a player like Satu Sabali to that mix and a four-point loss turns into maybe a four-point victory. So I think that I think that out of all the teams that we talked about so far, I think Dallas is actually the team that I feel the most confident about in this bottom like bottom outside of the top three, really, because I feel like the top three have been relatively the same all year for us. And um, I think that that's going to remain the same, uh, barring any like crazy injuries or anything significant taking place. But I think that once you go bottom, like once you go to the to number four and beyond, I think Dallas is the team I feel the most confident about. And, and specifically in their comparison with Phoenix, I think they've had their numbers so far this year, whether they've been at full strength or not, which I think is also huge. But I think something to touch on with uh, with Phoenix before we move on to our next team, talking about New York. I think another thing to touch on with Phoenix is the fact that they have played really well, I would say, without having Diana Taurasi on the floor. I would say that when you talk about the fact that you have that you're missing out on one of the league's top three point shooters, one of the league's best overall facilitators one of the team one of the league's most notable backcourt players I think that when you're able to see a player like Kia Nurse specifically step up in this role when you're able to see a player like Skylar Diggins-Smith get back to being downhill Skylar right downhill Diggins is how I would how I would phrase it I think that's something that I think is extremely important and I think Ryan something else that we mentioned earlier on when we touched on this injury earlier in the year was that Skylar Diggins was going to have to be more aggressive Brittany Griner was going to have to be and even more impactful on the boards, creating secondary opportunities, and overall just finishing around the rim. <laughs> well, Ryan, I don't know if you've seen, but lately Shorty's been back in her dunk package. I don't know what's going on with her, but I think that she's finally starting to kind of realize that, like, with the fact that Diana is out, her role is 
even more maximized. And I understand that she didn't play for most of last year. I don't think she played very much at all last year. So I think that one of the biggest things is just the, you know, getting her sea legs back together in terms of getting back on the floor. But I think that Brittany Griner is the truth and she's back to play. And I think that's one of those things that's really kept Mer- uh, kept the mercury in it. Not to mention also Brittany Griner's averaging a double-double this year. Skyler Diggins-Smith, like you mentioned, I think she's flourished in her role, not only as the leading scorer on this team, but also as the leading ball handler. The Phoenix Mercury are a very interesting team going forward. I do agree with you. I think that Dallas as a team has their number, but I think the Mercury are, are one of the best teams in the league, especially right now without Diana Taurasi. They're fourth in the WNBA in rebounds first in the league in blocks and a lot of that is due to the inside presence of Brittany Griner and then field goal percentage as well they're fifth in the league with 43.1 percent shooting from the field so going forward Dallas and Phoenix they could be two very interesting teams especially considering progression in terms of whether or not Dan Taurasi gets back from injury sooner than we expected and then whether or not we see players like Isabel Harrison continue to step up for this team Satu Sabale to continue to provide great scoring production for this team. There's a lot to look forward to for both these teams for sure, but let's move on to the New York Liberty. And there is one big topic to talk about for this New York Liberty team, or in terms of this New York Liberty team, the absence of Sabrina Ionescu due to left ankle tendonitis. Jalen, how big of a loss is this? Man, I think this is huge, bro, because at the end of the day, I think the biggest thing was that you could kind of see that she wasn't right, right? Like, I felt like earlier on in the season, it was like, yup, she's back, she's doing her thing, and everything started to kind of work in their favor, and you kind of just had this belief that, like, oh, yeah, they are built to be that team, they are built to be the truth, they are going to be able to get things done, Um, and I think that it dates really back to that game against the Atlanta dream. And I'm, I'm sad that we didn't factor it. The fact that it's in uh, when we talk about Atlanta, but Atlanta is missing, missing Kennedy Carter. I knew that that was something that I was kind of like blanking on, but I think that's something else that Atlanta also has to keep a little bit of focus on. Cause typically they have a little bit of a three headed monster in the backcourt and Kennedy Carter is out of the mix, but I will say that they've been playing relatively well in her absence, which hasn't been that long going back to New York. Dating back to their game where they lost 90 to 87 to Atlanta, Sabrina just hasn't been right. Let's let's look at that game. In that game, she has six points, five rebounds, three assists. Let's move on to the next game after. They play the Las Vegas Aces. Never, never an easy night, regardless of what team you are. Five points, nine rebounds, nine assists. The near double-double with rebounds. And assists will make you feel pretty well. But there's that five points. I want people to keep an eye on that theme as we go along. Then we move against the Connecticut Sun. Another team, not that great in terms of being the offense on the opposite end of playing against the Connecticut Sun defense. No player on New York except for Rebecca Allen scored in double figures. Sabrina Ionescu, five points, three rebounds, and five assists. We'll go ahead and we'll look at the Mercury game. That was the first game where we didn't see her on the floor and the Liberty won by two points against a good Phoenix team. Now, they did most recently lose in big body fashion (laughs) 
to the Las Vegas Aces. But again, that is not going to be an easy night for anybody. And when you factor in the fact that Kelsey Plum went bonkers for 32 and they had they had four other players scoring double figures in a, on a night where Aja Wilson only had to drop 10. Sabrina was not right, and it was literally costing them games on the floor. Let's just, Ryan, I know we love Sabrina. I know we love New York as a team, and we've loved them so far this season. But let's just call a spade a spade, bro. Sabrina was a net negative on the floor for this team, and I literally spelled it out for you. In those, in those three games, that three-game losing streak that they had, Sabrina had six points, five points, and five points. If Sabrina doesn't score in double figures, this team is automatically hurt by the fact that she has such a high usage because she has so much dictation over where the ball is and how and has significant influence on this team's offense. So with that being the case, I think that it is a hurt to them because she is their table setter. But I think at the same time, bro, if she was going to continue to play injured, I think she was only going to continue to hurt this team. And I think that was going to put them in a really negative position as opposed to being able to just lean up Benajah Laney and roll with this team as is with Onyemware playing more minutes, with with Whitcomb playing more minutes. And um, let's not forget dear old Jasmine Jones, who – who may have started a little bit of beef with Phoenix, but did back it up in their game against Phoenix in that 85 to 83 win. She had, she had 16 points and seven rebounds in 21 minutes now. So it ain't like she's, she, this is not some bench player with a minimal role on New York talking crap to Skylar Diggins. This is a player who has been giving them legitimate minutes and been giving them buckets in terms of this team. I mean, even if you look at their game against the aces, Jasmine Jones was their leading scorer with 17 points. That's over Benajah Laney, who had 15 and 6. So this is a this is still a good New York basketball team. I think that the thing is Sabrina is their Sabrina is the needle mover that takes them from being a good team that could be a bottom half of the playoff squad to a great team that could legitimately be playing for the championship. I think that's that's the thing. Yeah, I think you you hit it right on the head with that because I think when we're talking about how great of a player Sabrina has been, not only throughout her career but on this team, she has become one of the best point guards in the league in such a short amount of time. And I think without her on the floor, I think New York is definitely going to struggle. They are going to lose some games. Let's not forget to factor that Natasha Howard's also out for this team because Natasha Howard was basically their starting center before this season started. We've only seen Sabrina and Natasha Howard on the floor once. So we really have not been able to see the potential of this duo. But what we have been able to see is how great of a player Banaja Laney is because I think without Banaja Laney, this team may be worse off than where they are right now. Other than Sabrina, I think Benajah Rolani is the true needle mover for this team because of her ability to keep this team in games every time she scores more than 20 points. I think that the magic number is 20 because of the fact that whenever Laney scores 20, this team always seems to be in the game. So 
if Laney continues to score 20 a game and continues to play at a high level that she's been playing throughout this entire season, and keep in mind, she's a player that we really haven't mentioned as a possibility to be in the MVP conversation after last year winning the most improved player. I think that this team definitely has issues right now, especially considering that Sabrina's going to be out, it looks like, for a couple of games. I'm not really sure what the what the status of her injury is. It looks like it's day-to-day. But I think that now, now we're kind of really seeing New York trying to overcome some adversity in this season. Remember, they were a great team to begin the season. I think they started out, they were 5-1 and one at one point. Now they're six and five. They have, they've only won one game, one of their last six games. So yes, they need Laney to continue to put up 20 points. I think that now with Sabrina out, I think Sammy Whitcomb's going to have to take over that starting point guard role. I think Jasmine Jones is going to have to continue to provide scoring production at the guard position, which she was used to already considering that Sabrina had only played three games last year in the 2020 season. Now Sabrina's out again, so so now Jasmine Jones is going to have to take over and provide more scoring at the guard position, much like she did against Phoenix, like you mentioned. So now that this team is overcoming some sort of adversity, now we're going to see what this team is made of, especially now that Sabrina's out and also now Natasha Howard is still out. We don't know what the status of her injury is. We don't know when she will be coming back as well. So a lot of questions right now and definitely some cause for concern. Yeah, I think at the end of the day, New York is in an interesting situation. We'll have to keep an eye on how this team plays without Sabrina. Um, Obviously, they're a little bit used to it. Again, how you mentioned last season, but they're a lot better on the floor personnel wise than last season as well. So I think that's something that's extremely impactful in terms of what they'll be able to do moving forward. Um, if we just look at what they have coming up, they have the Aces again coming up tomorrow, which is a little tough, but I don't think that they're necessarily is necessarily a mismatch. They have the uh, L.A. Sparks, which I think is a winnable game, two games against the, uh, the Chicago Sky, which is going to be interesting. And then they have two games against the Atlanta Dream if we're talking about just their next six matchups. So I think it's going to be interesting to see what they do in this next stretch. They'll play about three or four of those games by the next time that we record um a power ranking so it'll be interesting to see where they end up maybe they'll be higher maybe they'll be lower it's all going to do with how they play against some of these top level teams that they're going to be running into Ryan, we're coming down home stretch we're cracking the top three rapid fire time bro we've talked about these teams every single week this is um this is something that although this is only our 2.0 we have touched on these three teams in glowing fashion every step of the way so far this season we're going to start with the Las Vegas Aces, who you have at number three. I have them at number two. What we got to say about the Aces, my guy? Well, the Las Vegas Aces are a great team, and I think, if anything, they improved from last year to this year. They are one of the best teams in the post, actually. So they have a league-leading 39.6 points per game in the paint. And then you talk about that on the offensive side. You look at the defensive side. They hold their opponents to 30.7 points per game in the paint. That actually leads the league. So I think they're getting it done pretty much down low. I mean, if we think about the effectiveness of Liz Cambridge as well, Jalen, I mentioned this a lot on this podcast. The effect that Liz Cambridge has on this team is huge. 
considering that what she provides on the offensive side, what she provides on the defensive side, how dominant she is in the paint, how dominant she is in the post. I think that really transitions well for a team that last year made the finals without her. The other thing that's really holding this team together is, like I mentioned with the turnovers with some of these teams, they do not turn the ball over as much as other teams. They turn the ball over 11 and a half times per game. That is the that is a WNBA low. So I think their ability to not only dominate in the paint, but also hold on to the ball, I think is huge going forward. But also, not to mention, they have two MVPs on this team with Liz Cambridge and Aja Wilson. Should I say two MVP candidates on this team, especially with how well they've been playing. So I think it's just about how they are going to be able to match up against teams like Seattle and Connecticut going forward, considering that this team made the championship last year. Now it's about how do you improve and try to win the championship this year? Yes, sir. And I mean, you got to mention it too. You talk about their ability to score in the paint. I think one of the biggest things you have to factor in is just their better players are all front court players. You talk about Cambridge, who you've been harp, you've been harping on her overall impact since last season in the wobble. So this is not something brand new to the Hoop Talk podcast in terms of the kind of praise that you have on, regarding her impact on the floor. Aja Wilson has been a downright player. We talk about that game against Dallas that I mentioned earlier, 28 and 14 in 35 minutes. We got to talk about Dierica Hamby, too, who actually recently crossed the 2,000 rebounds threshold, um, which I think is another thing that's big, that's big for them and only kind of proves just how big this team plays, that they have so many players that can play above the rim like that. In their most recent game against New York, she actually was their second leading scorer with 16 points and six rebounds. But at the end of the day, we know who the most recent superhero for this team is. It's Kelsey Plum, bro. I think the biggest thing with that is just the fact that when she is hot, you factor her in with the rest of this team, the kind of players that they have on the floor. Chelsea Gray is still do a game. We, we know that. Chelsea Gray is still do a game. Jackie Young was holding things down earlier on the season. She's been asked to do a lot less um, throughout the rest of the year. Um, so far, Raquana Williams has been a very, a very defensive, um, been a very interesting defensive presence in the backcourt for them. Um, I think that this team is so interesting and they're so talented, which is one of the biggest reasons why they were able to keep the ball rolling last year all the way to the WNBA finals, despite the fact that they were missing out on talent. So I think the Aces are in a really good spot right now. And I think that, I mean, I have them at two versus you having them at three. But Ryan, by the end, of, by, the, by the next time we do our 3.0, they could be as high as one, depending on how they play in these next couple of games. They've got the Liberty, the Lynx, they got the Storm, the and the Sparks twice in the next five games. So, I mean, they could, sky is the limit for this team because I still think that they're one of the top contenders in this league. And they could easily be in the top two, if not number one, by the next time that we do this. So talking about the next team in the Connecticut Sun, I have them at number one. Jalen, you also have them at number one. With Jonquil Jones being out due to her participation in the Eurobasket tournament, how big of a loss is this for the Connecticut Sun? We mentioned this with Sabrina and New York. I think there's an equal impact here with the Connecticut Sun. What is your opinion on this loss? Well, I think it's a huge loss considering we're talking about, I, I would argue, the leading candidate for the WNBA MVP uh, award right now. Excuse me. I think the biggest thing that hurts is just that they're not going to have her for the rest of the month of June. 
And that's really, that's really impactful because that's kind of the stretch where at least the more recent stretch where we're going to see a lot of the big boy teams that you would love to see her play against their most recent game against the Seattle storm. They got blown out and that was her first game, not on the floor. They've got the Chicago sky who we mentioned earlier are four and oh with Candace Parker on the floor and she's back. So who knows how that's going to go. The Dallas wings who I mentioned, I think is on the uprise as a young team that's been playing really good basketball as of late. They get the Chicago sky again and then they get the Washington Mystics, who I think are really who are a really strong team, despite the fact that we had them towards the bottom end of our power rankings. Now, when around the time that she would return, she'd be facing the Indiana Fever twice, the Atlanta Dream, the New York Liberty, and then catching the Wings um, in her first five games back if she comes back on schedule, right? So I think the biggest thing about it is that you could argue they might go one and four without her in the stretch. Now, I think that's dangerous. I think that's a dangerous call. And I'm not saying that I'm not making that a hot take, but I'm saying based on the schedule that they have without her, I think you could argue that the three games against the, the sky are going to be extremely telling. But I also think that game against the wings is huge. And if Tina Charles is on one, I think the Mystics aren't going to be a slouch either. So this little five-game stretch that they're going to have without her, I think is extremely impactful in terms of where they're going to be on the standing, where, where they're going to be in the standings when she comes back. I think Dewana Bonner has to have a couple of her best games of the season in this stretch that John Quilt Jones is going to be out. Remember, before the season, they lost Alyssa Thomas due to injury. Now they're losing John Quilt John Qual Jones who, like you mentioned, Jalen, I think she's the leader in this MVP race conversation. So I think now that that Jones is gone, Dewana Bonner is a player that I'm looking to for the Connecticut Sun to lead this team to some victories. And they do not have an easy schedule, like you mentioned. They play Chicago twice in a row. I think that Chicago at full strength right now has the ability to pull off two of their biggest wins this season with a Connecticut Sun team that doesn't have their MVP right now. But I think if we're looking for a player to step up, like we mentioned, Dewana Bonner, I think is the player for me that really has to lead this team to victory while John Quill Jones is out. I think Natisha Heidemann as well. She's been a player that's become a consistent three-point shooter for this team. I think that she has to get more involved and be the second option essentially for this team. I just think that it's going to be very interesting to see what happens going forward, especially with the Connecticut Sun without John Quill Jones. But talking about our last team, who Jalen, I had at number two and you had at number three was the Seattle Storm. First of all, Jalen, a lot of power rankings have Seattle Storm at number one and they have a right to be They're 10 and two this year. They are one of the best teams right now. But do you think that this team has a weakness? If so, what do you believe is their weakness? Um, man. I mean, hard to say that when you're the best, when you have the best record in the WNBA right now, right? I think I would just say the biggest thing is mm, it has to be that outside of Brianna Stewart, they don't get a lot of sufficient play from their front court. I think that's the biggest thing. Um, I think that would probably be the main thing that would be a big issue. Um Let's see, man. Let me. I'm just looking through right now. 
I think that that might be their biggest thing, bro. I think it's just out of the fact that, like, Katie Lou Samuelson, legitimate le, le, legitimate floor spacer for them. Mercedes Russell at the center position takes up a lot of area code up there and does a lot of the dirty work in the re- rebounding department next to Brianna Store. I think she's actually the second leading rebounder on this team. But from an offensive standpoint, I do think that their front court can kind of be had a little bit. And I think the biggest thing is that was even with Stephanie's Talbot on the floor. Now she's going to, she's not going to be on the floor for them for a little while. I think she's actually going to be playing overseas for a little while as well. But I think one of the biggest things with this team is that they can be had in the front court. If you look beyond just Brianna. And I think that's something that, can be pointed out but when you have that much talent between Stewart, Jewel Lloyd I mean go down the list I mean when you think about the fact that Sue Bird is still playing at a significantly high level I think that I think that this team kind of doesn't have any weaknesses outside of that um my apologies actually Talbot got moved to the bench with the fact that Samuelson is back on the floor so uh, but either way, 16 minutes, four points. So I think that's the biggest thing, bro, is just the fact that I think that outside of Brianna's store, they don't get a lot of front court play. Other than that, I don't think there's anything you can say negative about Seattle right now. I think with the front court play, like you mentioned, that's something I talked about before the season started because they lost Natasha Howard to the New York Liberty. So I thought that was a huge loss and just trying to fill the role of somebody who's been a great player, who's been a great player at the center position for this team like Natasha Howard has been. Now it's just trying to find somebody who can who can fill that role, whether it's Katie Lou Samuelson, Mercedes Russell or Ezzy Magbagor. I think that's really the biggest issue so far for this team is just trying to find somebody who can take over that position. I still feel like we have yet to really see that, even though. We've seen players like Brianna Stewart continue to be one of the best uh, forwards in the WNBA. Sue Bird, the living legend, continue to be a uh, second or third option for the Seattle Storm team. Jewel Lloyd, who actually hit a game winner for them not, le- not that long ago, has been a great guard for this team too. So they have the scoring to win a lot of games going forward. And much like I said earlier in the podcast, Seattle scores 90 points. They win so as long as they score 90, that is, that is their magic number. If they score 90, they win games. But I think that center position, that center position is going to be their biggest question mark and their biggest concern going forward as the season continues. Definitely missing Natasha Howard right now from that position. I think that's one of the bigger losses of the offseason, especially with the fact that she hasn't been able to provide very much for New York either. So I think that'll be a huge talking point, not only for Seattle, but for New York as well. So transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, do you believe the Seattle Storm are the best team in the WNBA? This has been a great episode today on our Hoop Talk podcast. Of course, make sure when you subscribe to us on Apple, you rate our podcast five stars and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you guys next episode. Peace.